Are your sins forgiven? Does Jesus indwell you? You can know him right now by simply confessing your sins, saying, man, I've screwed this up, Lord. And I want you to enter my life, and I want to have that intimate love relationship like John. I want to be a disciple whom you love. Just invite him in right now. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. As the year 2021 is just beginning, David is beginning a brand new series of teachings based on the Gospel of John. For more on our year-long study of the Gospel of John, visit our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But now, here's David with the second part of his introduction to the Gospel of John. On the third day, Mary comes to the tomb and Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and they see the stone rolled away and they run back and, and who do they tell first? Peter and John. And John and Peter run to the tomb and it's so interesting, John in the book of John shares that he outran Peter. <laughs> a little bit of competition there. He wanted to make sure all the readers knew that he outran Peter. Well, he was a bit younger than Peter as well. But it's interesting, he just gawked at the empty tomb but he didn't go in. Peter was the first to glance inward and he saw how the linen cloths were arranged in such a specific way that it gave evidence to Jesus being alive, that he was resurrected from the dead. In fact, the way the, na- the napkin was folded up is the way that people, after they ate in a meal, would fold up a napkin, and it was a way of saying to the guests after they would leave that evening, I'm gonna come back again sometime. It's like Jesus just said with the napkin, I'm coming back, and I'm gonna live forever. So John was the first one to the empty tomb. Peter was the first one to look inside the empty tomb. John is so important to the life and ministry of the church as it continued to grow. For in that upper room when Pentecost came, John was among the other disciples, 120 all total, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. But before that happened, they went back to their fishing industry. They had to wait in the upper room for several other resurrection appearances after Peter and John saw the empty tomb and Jesus appeared several times to them, but he also instructed them to return to Galilee and they went back to their fishing industry. Isn't that interesting? Whenever you're kind of despairing and wondering, don't you always go back to something you know you know how to do pretty well? And that's what they did as well. They went back to their fishing industry and one day when they were out in the water, John looks on the shore and he sees a figure that looks strangely familiar, cooking fish on a fire, and John says, it's the Lord. Peter's the first one that jumps in the water, and John soon follows. He gets to the shore, and Jesus engages Peter in a long conversation, walking along the shore, and John is a few steps ahead of them, and did John overhear this conversation? I wonder. Uh, Jesus told Peter that he was going to die in a similar fashion that Jesus died. You know, the pupil's not greater than the master. And Jesus warned Peter, you're gonna have to go through something similar to what I went through. But then Peter, like we all do, looked at John and said, what about him? Don't we all love to compare ourselves to other people? I mean, how are you gonna deal with that person in their life? And Peter asked Jesus that, and Jesus said to Peter, you know, you leave John to me. You know, what if he stays alive until I return again? Now, that's not what happened, but Jesus asked, what if that's the case? You leave John to me. I'll deal with my plan for John's life the way I want to deal with it. You, Peter, follow me. So Jesus had a great plan for John's life as well. Peter's was different. Uh, He would die hung upside down in a Roman prison cell 
John, though, would live, outlive all of the other disciples by decades. Jesus had a different plan for him. And then once the Holy Spirit did come upon those disciples, they went into the street and they started proclaiming the glory of Jesus. It was Peter and John who were first arrested and thrown into jail because of their bold proclamation of Jesus. And then Peter went on his journey to share the gospel, as did Paul go on his journey to share the gospel, and it appears that John went on his as well. And what's so fascinating about John is, again, he lived for many decades after all the other disciples died. Are you aware who was the first martyr among the disciples? It was James. Talked about in Acts 12, verse 2, King Herod hated him and his boldness of proclaiming the gospel. So James was the first martyr for the Christian faith. And then John, though, kept living for Jesus in every possible way. We don't know much more about him from the New Testament. Uh, we do know that several things historically happened to him. Uh, first of all, he was arrested nearer the end of his life, and he was placed into a vat of boiling oil because during that time period, probably 80 to 90 AD, the Christian movement was exploding. It was growing by exponential numbers. And those who persecuted Christians figured out, well, John's the last one alive. All the other disciples who followed Jesus, all the other 11 plus Paul had died a martyr's death. Paul was killed, beheaded in a Roman prison cell just around the time Peter was killed as well. And all the others had been martyred as well, but John had been kept alive for decades. And as the movement continued to grow, the persecutors figured out, if we could just get John to recant, if he would say, I don't believe this anymore, I just don't have this faith in Jesus anymore, the movement would die. So that was the goal. They put John into a vat of boiling oil to get him to recant his faith. And dear friends, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He knew he'd been called. He'd been loved by this magnificent man, Jesus. He had an inward one relationship with him. He had seen him alive and that resurrection power had come upon him at Pentecost. He knew that Jesus was Lord and he would not recant. So after that was over, uh, he was exiled on an island called Patmos. There his skin shriveled and scarred from that hideous persecution with the burning oil. And I've actually been to the place where John dwelt on Patmos. It's very incidental, it's nothing fancy, it's like a cave. It overlooks the Aegean Sea, but not fancy at all. But during that time period in Patmos, something extraordinary happened. He got a vision from Jesus. And Jesus gave him a vision of himself enthroned, of making all things new, of restoring this world to a new world and heaven becoming new as well. He gave a glorious vision of all the nations of the earth, having people worshiping the living Lord Jesus Christ. All of those visions came to him and John, in that cave in Patmos wrote down all of those visions and it's the book of Revelation. And then he was released at some point, I guess after the persecutors knew they couldn't break him and he evidently went to Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, he continued his ministry. Um, legend has it that he was old and shriveled and broken in so many ways bodily, but every Sunday, every Resurrection Sunday for the church worshiped in the morning on Sunday, 
they would come and take a pallet and put John on it. John would be taken to the church where all of the Christians in Ephesus would gather and John would preach a sermon to them. The rumor has it that on his last sermon, before he died, he called all of the Christians in Ephesus around him and here basically was his message. With probably a very quiet voice, he said to them, little children, little children, love one another. It's probably in Ephesus before he died that he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll see, interestingly, some hints still of Boanerges. In 1st in John 2, verse 22, for example, he gets on the apostates and all the false teachers in the church. You can see that quick trigger of anger against anyone who proclaimed wrongly the gospel of Jesus or who wrongly taught who Jesus was. Um, he just got ticked off when that happened. So folks, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't want to tame your aggressive realities. Men, you especially. He does not want you to become sissified. He doesn't want you to become weak and limp-wrist. He wants you to use those strong gifts that he's given you. It's seen in John's letters to the church. Don't you give in to apostate teaching. You stand strong. Again, you see some hints of boanerges, of thunder there. God doesn't want you to take that away. But also in those letters, you see his profound teachings about love. You see, John had this amazing relationship with Jesus. Christ was in him and he was in Christ. And he knew how much Jesus loved him and he knew how much he loved Jesus. And he was the disciple of love. That's why on his deathbed, his last sermon was little children love one another. That message is for us today too. We need to be bold in the faith. We need to be strong and courageous and have a bit of energies in us but we also need to commit ourselves to love one another in every possible way. That's what Jesus wants us to do. So as you look at the life of John, maybe 1 John 4.10 would be a great verse to end as we study his life. Here's what John said. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For this is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but he first loved us. Long before we ever thought about loving God, the father said to the son, will you go into the world as a baby in a manger, what people call Christmas, and would you grow up and live a perfect life and die on a cross to take the punishment of their sins upon yourself? And the son, not thinking equality with God was something to be grasped. Remember last week's message, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Jesus relinquished his sovereignty and took on the form and likeness of a human being and live the perfect life we couldn't live and died on that cross to take all our sins upon himself. This is love. Not that we loved him, but he first loved us. He took the initiative to pursue us. Oh, what an amazing verse. This is love. That he first loved us and then gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atoning, atonement, it means he took the penalty, he took the punishment of sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. That's love, folks. I mean, who of us would, would even die for a good friend, much less an enemy? We were enemies of God, yet Jesus still died for us. Wow. And that love, John knew. And it's what guided his life for all of his days until he died to go be with the Lord. So let me conclude this first step this first bite of studying John with you 
by looking at John, the first chapter, verses one and two. In the beginning, John wrote, when's that? That's before the world was ever created. When the world began to be created, the, the same words as in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, in the beginning of all created order was the word. And for the Jew, the word was always God. His word never returns void, Isaiah 55. He spoke the world into existence with a word. The Jews knew the word was God. And so in the beginning, at the point of creation, in time eternal was the word, the second person of the Godhead. And the word was with God. There's your first hint in John's gospel of the Trinity, the second person of the Godhead, the Son, the word was with God, with the Father, and the Holy Spirit was the one who brooded over creation in Genesis 1, who made creation. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The most important question any person can ever answer is this one. Who is Jesus? If you believe he's just a mere moral teacher, a good philosopher, you're wrong. That's not what he claimed. He claimed to be God. The Word was God. Because only God can die for our sins. God's the offended party with our sins. Jesus must be totally human to live the life we can't live for the atonement to work, but also he has to be perfectly God in order to pay the sacrifice for our sins because only God can forgive our sins. He, the Word, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. So at the moment of creation, Jesus was with God. The second person of the Godhead, equal, but relinquished that equality in order to become one of us to die for our sins. So let's just stop there. John 1, verses 1 and 2 gives us a great insight into what John thought of the glorious Jesus. But not only did he know him as God, but he also knew him as close, intimate friend. Do you? As we march through the Gospel of John, you're going to see a life in Jesus that we all can have, not just in John. And when Jesus called John the disciple whom Jesus loved, I think he wanted to say to all of us as well, you too can be my disciple whom I love. Is that you today? Are your sins forgiven? Does Jesus indwell you? You can know him right now by simply confessing your sins, saying, man, I've screwed this up, Lord, and I want you to enter my life, and I want to have that intimate love relationship like John. I want to be a disciple whom you love. Just invite him in right now. Lord Jesus, I pray all watching right now would either rededicate their lives to you or if they've never done it, dedicate their lives to you. Receive you inside and begin this wonderful love relationship that you want to have with every person viewing this message right now. To Jesus alone and always belongs all the glory. Amen and amen. Next week, we'll continue our study of John and go John verses 1 through 18, and we'll read through it and capture again the beauty of what John is trying to do. Read ahead, get ahead, study with me. I promise a year from now, you'll never be the same. It's time for our offering, and I wanted to mention just one quick thing before we take up the offering. The leadership of Moments of Hope Church tries so hard to use your money well and I think you know many of the places we have given to. If you don't, again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org slash go, and you can see many of the places we're, we're giving money to. 25% of our budget off the top goes to those places, and we'll try a bit harder online to share visually and verbally where those places are in the next year. Uh, but let me just say this. The Christmas Eve offering, traditionally in my 40-plus years of ministry, has always been used to support some ministry reaching the world for Jesus. It's the whole idea of the incarnation. God became one of us 
Uh, God sent his son into the world so that the son now sends his followers into the world. And I just wanna remind Christians who are hopesters that our ministry is not just local, although we're so excited to have given away over a million dollars to feed the hungry here in this city, it also goes global. And a lot of churches now are withdrawing their global support. And I'm just sitting here going, why? How can you do that? Because Jesus said, go into all the nations. He said, go into the ends of the earth. We must have a global perspective. So here's what's going to happen with the Christmas Eve offering. We're going to give 25% of whatever comes in to support a ministry in the Sudan in Africa. Suddenly the Sudan no longer has its dictator in there. It's been granted some possible entry points into other parts of the world, but mostly Christians can now worship as they desire, and they're training and equipping evangelists to reach that whole nation. Marilyn and I have been there. We know this work. We know the man behind it, Celestin Musakura. It's a grand work, so whatever you give, 25% will go to the training and equipping of pastors and evangelists to reach that Sudanese area for Jesus. The other 75%, I personally wrestled with this, but here's what I think we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take that money and continue to sock it away like we did last year. Uh, I would have thought we'd have had a place by now, but the truth is COVID has frozen everything. We just want Jesus to receive all the glory. He's worthy of that because in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. We worship Jesus in this church because he is worthy of our worship. Lord, bless our people. Keep them safe from COVID. Take care of them, Lord. Heal them should they have it. Don't let anyone perish from that. Keep our hopesters alive so that we can serve the risen Lord locally and globally. Thank you for the generosity of our people. Lord, help me and the leaders of the church manage this money well because it's really your money and I pray it's used for your glory and your glory alone. Give us a place, Lord, but in your timing, we believe at the right time, just at the right time, you'll provide what we need, again, for your glory and your glory alone. We trust you. We're having to wait, and we're made stronger. Thank you. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What exactly is a shepherd? Coming up, David joins me in a conversation about how personal and intimate our relationship with God can become with Jesus as our shepherd. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Bart, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and, and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? 
The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. It's great being with you, Jen. Thank you for the privilege of being with you as well. Well, in your morning e-devotions, you've been writing about developing a personal and intimate relationship with God. And recently you wrote about how God is our shepherd. Can you tell us some more about that? I can, Jen. Interestingly, as I went through the Psalms, I underlined every time God is called my personal something or another to King David. And in that list, I came up with almost 40 different names of God that were personal to David, like my rock, my refuge, my strength, and one of those is my shepherd. It comes obviously from the most beloved psalm of all when David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23, verse 1. My personal shepherd. Now, we who live in a more urbanized setting don't really understand the value of a shepherd Mm -hmm. with his sheep, but if we did know the intimacies of that relationship, it would make our personal relationship with the God of the universe become more and more alive. Let me invite all of our listeners to think of all the ways a shepherd cares for his sheep. Uh, For example, he leads, guides, cleans, and feeds them. He protects them throughout the night by sleeping in the doorway of the sheep pen. Predators or thieves can't get to the sheep because the shepherd is lying across that open door. They have to get through the shepherd to get to their sheep. Uh, In the Old Testament, God is described as the shepherd of Israel. And in the New Testament, Jesus portrays himself as the great shepherd of all of his people in John 10. In fact, he says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus knows his sheep by name. And when he calls out each sheep, no matter if there are dozens in his particular sheepfold, that particular sheep will raise up its head from all the other because the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. That's what Jesus meant in John 10, 27, when he said, my sheep hear my voice and recognize it in every possible way. So a good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his sheep, and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Because of his great love for us, he was willing to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And if even one of Jesus' sheep becomes lost, he leaves the 99 to bring the one lost sheep back home. That's in Matthew 18, verse 12. That's an example of how much every person matters to Jesus, how much he cares for us, our personal kind and good shepherd. So here's the question for all to ask today. Is Jesus the shepherd of your life? Well, he wants to be. Then pray to him today. Daddy, be my shepherd. Be my protector. Be my overseer. Keep me from all harm. Keep me safe. And when I wander, come seek me. Call me by name. You know my name personally. 
call it and I will respond to you. Bring me back to you in any way I've wandered from you. I love you, my good shepherd. You are my personal God and you seek me with all of your heart. So everyone should say, Jen, these words, the Lord is my shepherd, my personal shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not need anything but him and him alone. Wow, that's so good. Thank you so much for these insights today. Well, thank you, Jen. And I love the fact that God is my personal shepherd, that he lays down his life for me and all that are his own, and he will never leave us for or forsake us. Oh, he loves us so much. Mm. And if we could get a picture of God as our shepherd, I think our personal relationship with God would increase in profound ways. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message on the Gospel of John is from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out our Hopecasts. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those who are battling COVID-19.